This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. It is such an honor to be here today in this beautiful home with all of you. Um, I think many of you know where this all started And there was a day um, that we had our first class. And when we finished in the room that day and Jenna and I were cleaning up and we left, a gentleman came in to the the room to uh, follow with his class. And he looked around the room and he said, what just happened in this room? (laughs) And there was something that he could feel after all of um, these participants left, and Jenna and I shared what we shared, and it was palpable to this gentleman, and we really had no words for it. But I really do think that this day and this gathering and this opening of Maine Spring Wellness is a reflection of what happened that day, right? So welcome. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you today about human connection, and really what true human connection is, and how we can experience it together in a different way, right? Currently, I think it's safe to say that we're living in a climate of fear, right? It's in the ether, you can feel it, right? So I want to touch on why that is. Um, Quickly, And I think mainly if we look at the institutions that support us, look at, look at the structure of our community, right? We're seeing a collapse in a lot of these institutions, right? So first look at our schools, right, in terms of what's happening. Look at our healthcare system, what's happening. Look at our government in terms of what's happening, right? Our churches, What's going to happen to all those buildings, you know? Even our planet herself. I live in the Napa Valley. Let me tell you, it's a scary time. Yeah. So the question is, what do we do? What is this, what is the antidote for this free fall? It feels almost like a free fall to me that we're all in together, right? Calling it the age of anxiety. Right? And we're all feeling it. Okay, so we're going to start first with an understanding of what happens when we are afraid. Okay? So, so think fear for a minute. Fear is about constriction. Okay? It is about restriction, contraction. Okay? So fear is really about shutdown, all right? And when you think shutdown, you 
there's disconnection, right? So go to the opposite feeling for a minute, which is love, all right? Think about love as an expansion, right? Love is an opening. It is connection, right? You can just you can feel it in your heart as an expansion, right? So how did we start this morning? What was the first thing that we did when we all arrived? We opened our mouths and we ate this amazing food, right? Then we opened our minds and we had this beautiful meditation. So we opened up to receive. We received food. We received a physical connection with our body, okay? So I'm here to tell you today that that is, the, that is at the essence of what we're all missing, right? And we're shutting ourselves and our families and our communities off to that because we're so afraid, right? So in this climate of fear, I believe we can really figure out how to open ourselves back up and reconnect, okay? And this wellness center here is an institution that is evidence that we all, we were getting it. We're getting it. This is what we got to do. And this is what we have to create together. So here, here, you guys. Amazing. So let's stay with this idea of opening for a minute. And just quickly, I want you to mentally prioritize the order of the human connections in your life by category, all right? So the category of your children would be one of them. The category of your partner, right, if you're married, all right? The category of your extended family and the connections you have with your extended family. And also the category of your community and, and with the world as a whole. So just, just quickly, think one, two, three. You know, what's in terms of the amount of yearly time and energy you spend on those categories of your human connections, what comes first for you? Just take a minute. Think about that. Raise your hand if your children came first. Raise your hand if your partner came first. Did anyone put yourself first? Come on up here. <laughs> Did, did some of you not even think of this category as a category? Right? Right? Okay. And you're not alone. Yeah. Okay. So in my world, the order of you first, your partner second, your children third, your extended family fourth, your community and world fifth is the order that I feel 
serves wellness collectively the best. Now, I could probably spend all morning unpacking my reasoning behind that and my personal experience with this because this is something I've learned over time. I did not know this up front, right? But I want to get back to my main point that um, today I'm making about true human connection. Okay. So we're going to go back to fear and disconnection for a minute, and I'm going to tell you a little story. Okay. So it's Friday night, and a family is getting ready to go out for a social gathering. They're getting ready to leave, just about to get in the car, and the mother turns to her teenage daughter, and she says, aren't you going to put on any makeup? What do you think the teenage daughter was feeling in that moment? What do you think she was thinking? What do you think the mother's motivation was? So that's where we are. And I, and I tell that story to, to kind of point to a here and now situation um, of this fear and this disconnection and this social media, which really is such a powerful uh, quality of, of, of this connection and disconnection that, that we are, are all experiencing today, right? So... And the reason why she wanted her to put on makeup, because she wanted to post a picture. She wanted to post a picture of her family, and bless her heart, she wanted her family to appear beautiful and connected, right? But we got to really look at what's happening in terms of all the layers of, of these motivations and how it's disconnecting us, right? Okay, so I'm going to switch for a minute. And I'm going to speak about the actual sensory experience of true human connection. We have five senses, all right? So I really think that if we could all understand and appreciate when we connect on a sensory level and we experience a, a sensory um, in terms of what we see and what we hear and what we taste and what we feel, those are the connections that are satisfying, truly like nutrition, as opposed to many of the empty calories. I like to call all the likes and the comments, I like to call those um, empty calories, right? So I do think we're overfed and we're undernourished is really what's going on, right? So th this experience of, of disconnection, I think we also have to understand that not only, yes, it's, it's a sugar high, it's like a white sugar high when we look at that like or we look at that comment, right? But in actuality, not only is it not nourishing us, I think what it's leaving 
a lot of our children with is is this inner critic, right? Of comparison, which Janet was saying, right? So how do I compare? What do I look like? Am I good enough? Am I thin enough? Am I pretty enough? All of this comparison. So we're really creating this egocentric kind of a climate, which really I believe is the essence of this fear, right? That we're kind of all living with today, right? So I'm going to switch to another story about sensory experience of connection. I'm sitting in my office last week. It's quarter to four. Uh, I have a client at four, and I see that my phone rings. And I see an old friend's name on my screen. It's like, oh my gosh, Jennifer, how, how is it that she's calling me, right? Can't answer, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll respond, you know, I'll send her an email, whatever. But something happened in that minute, and I picked up the phone. And I experienced 10 minutes of the most delicious, juicy conversation. And when I was finished, I realized I'm not picking up my phone that much anymore. I'm just not doing it. So what was it about that 10-minute conversation that I had with an old friend? I heard the sound of her laughter. I mean, think about that. The sound of her voice, the vibration of, of her voice in my physical ear. It's like, I, I, I've just never appreciated sensory experience of connection the way I'm doing now. And part of it is because I wrote this and all week I've been really thinking about it, right? So I heard her voice. I heard the pauses in, in our conversations, our little jokes that just spontaneously erupted. It was only 10 minutes. It was like I was fine for my 4 o'clock client, right? So I'm here to try to encourage you all to, to really get back to that in terms of what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we're tasting, what we're feeling together. We're, 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 I think we're getting, we're getting robbed of that by this digital exchange of communication, right? Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to, um, to kind of finish up here with... Um, with a hope, um, with a new hope for you. We're here, this, this, this is a grand opening of this wellness center. So my hope for you is you will each experience a personal grand opening. In, in understanding this ability to open and receive, right, as, as the very essence of true human connection, right? So as opposed to being a hostage to fear, instead, we can all become a host to love. Namaste. So we're going to have the opportunity um, to ask Nola some questions about her talk. 
and then open up some discussion. And then if you have any uh, questions yourselves from the audience, you're welcome. There's a microphone up here. Uh, just please use the microphone because we are recording this as a podcast today. And in fact, if I may, I'm going to start with one question. Um, that was great, Nola. Thank you so much. Um, could you talk a little more about the you? Because I think for so many of us, you think, God, you know, self-care feels sometimes so selfish. And it's not like all of us are at the spa every day, right? <laughs> Clearly, we're not. Yeah, yeah. We're running. We're doing all sorts of things all the time for other people. But even for women, in just by culture of women, we're constantly thinking about others. So what does it look like? For, and maybe you can give us some examples in your own life for what your you looks like. Great question. Um, I think that connecting with you begins with the connection of your own physical body in terms of life force, right? Now, um, we did a beautiful mindfulness exercise today, but, um, and I have, I have left a how-to for you. Um, uh, to, to physically connect with the life sensation of your body, I believe is now going to not necessarily replace mindfulness practice and meditation, but really become more of, of, of the real deal in terms of what it does. And it's a little bit different, right? So I, I've broken up with my mantra <laughs> for about six months, and I have been instead just putting my energy on the life sensation of my body. So if you close your eyes for a minute, right, and ask yourself the question, how do I know I'm alive? Like, how do I know it? Do I sense a sensation of life force in my body? So the direction of attention to every cell in your body in that way has become so enjoyable for me, just tapping into that life force. And my sense is whatever you pay attention to gets bigger, right? So we all want all this energy that we can do all these wonderful things for, but we have to cultivate that first, right? So certainly an inner practice of, of this sensory experience is, to me, is, is a little bit different than repeating a mantra or doing things mindfully. It's really tuning into this energy, so to speak. So that's number one. And then the second thing is, I, I think, to understand really what, what turns you on in terms of purpose, right? So Jenna and I spoke so much about how we balanced mothering with our vocadio. And when I say vocadio, I mean kind of your God-given gifts as to how you are going to serve the world, right? So what are your vocadio needs in terms of you, right? And what about everything you're going to give to everyone else? So for me, um, this understanding in terms of you um, first is really about vocadio and about really what I believe that my gift is here to do. Did anybody see um, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, that movie? Okay, so that's a great example. So here she was mothering and taking care of her husband. Everything looked perfect, right? But the essence of her vocadio and creativity as an, as an architect 
was was not being realized. And she really kind of had a breakdown because of it. So I definitely think that balance of those of, of those pieces in putting yourself first is is where it's at. Yeah. So how does a how does a parent help figure out the priorities for their family? What would you recommend? Great question. I have that on a, another handout that I put over there. And the way that I have learned to do that with my parent, partner, my husband, is every February we go away together and we do a state of the union retreat, we call it, the two of us. And we really take inventory, right? Because I definitely think with everything that happens day after day, year after year, it's very easy to just lose track of what your priorities are and what really makes, what matters, right? And as we know, in the course of the day, something just pops up and it's like, I don't know what my priorities are. My kid's sick at school, I got to go pick them up. Yeah. So on a yearly basis, um, I encourage this practice of, of really going away and kind of taking an inventory. So my husband and I, we have 10, 10 or so categories, like how are we doing as, 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 as a couple? What's going on with our intimacy? How are we, you know, how are we as parents? What, is our, what does our house feel like? What is our house? So we break down these categories and we really talk about, um, you know, how we are prioritizing our time and energy and if it's working and what needs to change. That's a great idea. We had been working a lot on the podcast with kid-centric parenting um, that we're putting our kids first too much. And I was wondering if you could speak a little more into that as well, because when you talk about your partner comes second, I think for so many of us, that's really difficult to do because we feel a lot of pressure about um, putting our kids first, making sure that they're getting all their needs met. And it's creating this heightened anxiety that I think a lot of parents are experiencing. And part of what you, you talked about today, about just the fear that's in, in the environment. I wondered if you could expand a little more on that, but then also, what does it look like to put our spouses second? <laughs> well, a great question. I think that day-to-day, -day, um, on a day-to-day -day basis, it can look like the children come first. Right, But I think that if behind that is really the understanding of that priority, uh, that your partner comes before that is the most important thing. So th the family as a whole understands that dynamic, right? So my husband and I would often joke to uh, our children, and, and we'd, we'd be together, and we'd say, uh-uh, you're not getting between this. This, this is first. We were here first. We were together. You guys come second. And it was a joke, <laughs> but they got it. They got it. I have to hand it to my husband. Um, one of the things he would always do when he came home from work is he'd come to me first. So we'd be eye to eye, physical connection. Our children would experience the physical contact between the two of us. So we're a touching family, and, and they would see us do that, right? So those those priorities, so to speak, were were kind of being played out. And as I said, day to day, it may have looked like the kids were the most important, but then that yearly retreat, they knew about it. We And we each have one journal that is our State of the Union journal. We each have one. And that journal only goes with us when we go on that retreat. 
I want to tell you, looking over the years of, of those experiences that we've had together once a year is really the most amazing thing, right? So it's the same journal. We take it every year. Our kids have seen that journal, right? So I just think it sets up th- this really, um, a really powerful understanding with all of us. That's a great that ritual. This is what's going on. Yeah. It's a yeah. great ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about acknowledging children's accomplishments. Um, I think we can, as a society, as a culture, be a little too praise heavy with our kids um, and not focus so much on their efforts. Um, is there anything wrong with acknowledging them too much? That's a, another great question. I, I think that um, if you can understand the difference between encouragement um, and like in the trophy in, in terms of praise, that's really what it's about. So the attention and the accolades that we're giving them are, are about, uh, about process instead of the blue ribbon. Do you, do you know what I mean? So, and even encouraging them for sorting out something with their sibling, some kind of a difficulty, or or for expressing when they didn't feel so good and being being really transparent about things. It's it's what we're praising them for, I think. And and and, it, and if we think encouragement, I think um, we'll serve them a lot better. I think yeah. if we look at, if I may, Carol Dweck's work on mindset, mm-hmm. you know, she will talk about. Uh, acknowledging something very specific in action that or effort that you see a child do. And so when you when you hone in on that very specific effort and say something in acknowledgement, then you're actually increasing self-esteem for a child, right? Because they can actually pinpoint like, yes, I did do that. And that makes me feel that makes me feel good internally about the fact that I achieved that or accomplished that. If we have blanket statements of praise of like, you're great, or you did amazing, we really can't hang our hat on great or amazing, right? Because what specifically made that great or amazing? And actually, then we sometimes raise a bar of, now I always have to be great and amazing. What if I'm not? So when we have specific encouragements with our kids, they can hang their hat on that, and they can also know that they can... Uh, continue to improve upon that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, um, I I loved this answer. Um, I, I was reading a um, an article about all of these athletes. Um, well, they were young young children as athletes, and what it was that their parents did or said or how they appreciated their dedication to their sport and the trophies. They, they were winning, which we've all heard about, right? Too many trophies. And collectively, um, they all said, you know, the, the question was, what do you wish that your parents would have said to you after a game? And collectively, the kind of consensus was the statement, I love to watch you play. Aww. I love to watch you play. It's like, think about that as opposed to, you know, you could have kicked that harder or when you kicked it into, yeah. So I think we're, we've lost that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Jenna and I are wanting to cover that very topic in a future podcast, specifically Mm -hmm. around sports. I think that's an important conversation. Great. Um, Do you want to open it up to the audience? Does anyone have any questions? 
I, I mean, I have a million, but if anyone else would like, <laughs> anybody else wants to ask And if anything? it's too difficult to get to the mic, then um, Chowee can bring it to you, or you can even stand. Once you've kind of unleashed the Instagram and social media, and then now you want to kind of pull it back and taper it a little, how do you recommend doing that? Because now it's out there, and they're used to it, the yeah. children I'm talking about, and they want it. So how do you kind of now great, step Great back? question. Great question. Yeah. So the question was, once you've unleashed Instagram or other social media things, and then you're realizing it's, it's gotten to be overwhelming, how do you bring it back? How do you taper it? All right. So I've got two suggestions. And a lot of these practical ways that I'm suggesting, I have left for you all on a handout um, that you can pick up on your way out. So I, I look at it like two ways. I definitely think there is something to be said for restricting the screens, putting them away. So one of the things we used to do and still do, we'd go out to dinner. Uh, what We used to have what we called it hump night. We'd go out for pizza on Wednesday nights. And before we all got out of the car, we'd open up the console. Okay, all phones go in the console. Right, And we'd kind of laugh about it, and I'd kind of laugh at myself, can mom give up her cell phone? Right, <laughs> So I'd make it about all of us, as opposed to being like the bad cop, get off that damn screen. You know? You know? So I definitely think that is a good thing, to collectively put away our phones. But the other thing that I'm hoping that my conversation about um, sensory experiences of connection will inspire is... When you have those experiences, have you, have you had experiences where all of a sudden you say, oh, I didn't even pick up my phone that night. I forgot to take a picture. You know, when you have that time, you're like, oh. My guess is it was because your, your sensory exchange with your whole environment was so rich and so nourishing, you forgot to pick up your damn phone. So that is what I encourage my, my colleagues and my families to try to create. Because I think a certain rigidity sometimes backfires with our kids, like they're just, you know. So if we create those juicy experiences of connection together, my hope is that our phones will take a second, you know, a backseat to that. Amen. Yeah, I think also boundaries, too, around dinner time, you know, that we just, we have a, a zone-free phone, no phone, um, that we do take phones, but especially when you have younger kids, that they're all at a, center, a central area and, and locked yeah. down for the evening. Yeah. Too many teenagers have their phones in their room. And I know some people go, well, but they have to learn. But they're so addictive. And there really is a, you know, such a thing now as screen addiction. Yeah. And uh, newer research on sleep for teens is five and a half hours a night yeah. because of the yeah. use of phones by their beds and yeah. how much screen time they're having. So we have to model this. And also, if you're a parent at home and you're constantly on your phone, then yeah. just take some time to reflect. There's no yeah. judgment about that, but just reflect right. like on what, what's translating at home. Um, because if that's the case, let's do something about that. Yeah. And, and I would also say when it comes to even, we've talked about phones, but even with screen time for younger children, it's really common now to see little ones in strollers with phones watching yeah. or iPads. Yeah. And I, I just want to encourage the mamas and the daddies out there and who's listening to this podcast in the future, 
it's okay. I'm going to tolerate if your child is upset and we're in a, yeah. in a yeah. local community environment and your kid's getting fidgety. Just go with it. Let's lean into it because we're teaching frustration tolerance. We're teaching the ability on how to sit and be a part of something, how to sit at a table and have dinner in a restaurant. And yeah, it's sure, it's nice to be quiet, but then we're missing out on really important skills because we're entertaining. We're entertaining. We're entertaining. And um, I heard somebody, a principal actually at a, re a school recently, mention something of like, for your little ones, let's go ahead and consider, like, don't bring out the, the screens yeah. for your, your kids. And she got a lot of backlash from parents, mm -hmm. like, how could you say this and whatnot? But it was really very well-intentioned because of these very important coping skills that our kids miss out on when we don't give them those kind of opportunities on learning how to sit still and be present and be quiet. Absolutely. Yeah, and those devices change their moods. They get so mean after they've been playing well, on them for a long time. At least mine do. This is something that Nola and I talked about in Conscious Mothering, you know, and we used research out of Temple University in 2003, which talked about how even then the brain rewires to become more antisocial yeah. with screen time. Yeah. So now, I mean, that was 2003. This is 2020. Like, so much has changed from there, like yeah. where there's a, a phone in every kid's pocket. Yeah. yeah. Does anyone else have any questions? I've been um, listening to a podcaster, Jordan B. Peterson is his name, <laughs> and mm -hmm. he talks about suffering and how suffering exists in life and it's okay. Um, and I think with this whole social media topic and always showing kind of best face forward and everything's very curated, we're in this, even as adults, in this world of feeling like everything has to be pretty and perfect and happy. Um, and suffering is a hard word and a scary word and uh, a bit depressing. <laughs> so I guess what my question is, is with younger kids or teens or whatever age, how do we show our kids that suffering is okay? Because in this concept of meaning, what I've learned is that when you're doing something very meaningful and you're having that juicy conversation, there's still suffering in the room, but you don't notice that suffering because you're being nourished. So how do you show your kids your suffering in your own life to a degree that you're not harming them, but they can learn that that suffering and the imperfection is okay? Wow, that's a powerful really question. question. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, uh, thank you for that, Stacy. If I may, I have one thought on this. I'm, I'm working with a child who's 10 right now um, who uh, has a grandparent that's dying. And so he is watching his mom feel very sad about the fact that, you know, her dad is in the hospital and things don't look good. And so that corporate grieving, um, which I've been trying to talk to the family about, the, the fact that, like, let's have a conversation all together. Let's light a candle together in honor mm -hmm. of Grandpa right now, connecting about the fact that, that Mama's grieving, that sometimes she's trying to hold back tears because she wants to be strong for everybody, and even having that conscious uh, awareness of it and explaining it to the kids. You know, sometimes I just try to hold back my tears because I don't want you to see a crying Mommy all the time, um, but I'm really sad about my dad. Having that kind of acknowledgement and honesty, I think really helps to model something so authentic and true about what real grieving is. Um, and it teaches a certain skill set too, right? Of like 
building resilience, learning how to bounce back, um, and also learning how to grieve well, which, were, which is really hard. So many of us do not know how to grieve well. Nola? Yeah, yeah I love that you asked this question because um, I, I had to cut um, my talk today, but part of it was about the sensory experience of legitimate suffering. And I believe in legitimate suffering in terms of how we model that and how we we tolerate that in terms of our children and we and we experience that together and support each other through it. So I think we are kind of living through a time where we're shutting that down, we're pathologizing a lot of anxiety and depression and it's something that a lot of us, you know, it's life. Life can be hard, right? So I think as a parent, my challenge was always um, how much I could actually share with my children. Uh, I think our children don't want to see the sink uh, or the ship sinking. Do you know what I mean? Because you are their ship. So, but certainly to share with them um, that, that suffering is legitimate and we all, we all do it as part of life. And it is a way to build resiliency and connection together. So yeah, that's and I, I also think as long as your child is not your, your coping skill for your suffering, where like you're belaboring them with too much information or detail, but yet you come from a place of, um, yes, you're right, mom lost her job recently, and I feel a little scared, but I've got a plan, and I'm working through this, right. and I'm working through some good, you know, with some good people to network, or daddy and I are divorcing, but we're very much committed to parenting you and being a part of your life. You know, there's certain details that your kids can know a blanket statement of what's going on. They don't need to know your full inner world because that's really private to you and, and to other people that you may share in your own inner circle. Um, but they can understand that blanket statement and also know that you're still trying to problem solve. You might feel scared or a little worried, but you're still on track, right? On track to problem solve it. Well, I know Nola has a flight to catch in a little while. I mean, we could talk to you and ask you questions for hours. You are such an inspiration and we are so grateful that you came down here today to be with us and so excited to have you be a part of Mainspring Family Wellness. I hope you'll come back and teach sure a course or yeah, two. Um, and so grateful to all of you for being here today. Don't feel like you need to leave. I think there's still lots of food. I'd love to socialize with you.